Thank you. Please, please do take your seats. Uh, I, I didn't know that that was part of the plan for this morning, so I'm a little bit undone already. But anyway, good morning to you. It's great to see you here this morning. I should have actually said on the marriage course announcement just that actually we start this Wednesday. So if you're interested, do sign up quickly. Um, so it's great to be with you. I hope you've had a good Easter, despite all the rain. And as Sue referenced, um, over the Easter period, we've been taking a fresh look at the claims of Jesus. And in particular, looking at some of the I am statements that he made. Uh, but as I was preparing this week, I was aware that there's, there is something of a risk that when it comes to looking at some of the words that Jesus said, there's, there's a bit of a risk because we live in an information age that we're constantly being bombarded with information about one thing or another. I mean, through advertising and through the media, uh, people are making different claims and facts are coming at us uh, all the time. So, for instance, I reckon I must have had about a thousand firms offer to help me with my uh, missold PPI, even though I never had it. Uh, meanwhile, a rather shouty man is claiming that Silip Bang can clear away all the grease and grime in my bathtub. And to cap it all, Nestle are claiming that the new diamond shreddies are much better than the old square ones. Yeah, apparently they're selling them in combo packs. So, so and I realize with all this sort of avalanche of information, it is, it's possible to categorize the different information to different... Some of you, that's it. You've lost it now for the morning, haven't you? But aren't they the same? Yes, that's the point. Um, it's possible to categorize the different types of information. So firstly, you've got information that's coming to you that's not relevant and not helpful. So this week, the internet told me that it's actually illegal in Switzerland to own just one guinea pig, because guinea pigs are social animals and they get lonely. Now, that might be interesting, but it's not relevant and it's not helpful unless tonight I'm planning to smuggle my clinically depressed guinea pig across the Swiss border. It's not helpful and it's not relevant. Meanwhile, there's other types of information which is relevant to me, but actually isn't very helpful. How many of us parents over the Easter holidays, within 30 seconds of getting your children off screens, had them claim, I'm bored and I've got nothing to do? Anybody? And they have an expression like this baby up here. This poor little fella's just been pulled off Minecraft, bless him. So that's why he's so depressed. So it's relevant to me because I'm a parent and I'm responsible for them, but it's not helpful to me in any shape or form. However, there is every now and then some information that comes my way which is both relevant and helpful. So when somebody who's close to me tells me that they love me, that's relevant and helpful. I still remember very clearly when I, I got a place at university, my parents said to me, don't worry, Paul, we'll support you financially through university. That was both relevant and helpful. Just so with the claims of Jesus. Uh, that's why in many of your Bibles, all he, that he says is in red, because every word that Jesus utters is both relevant and helpful to us. And that's why we've been looking at these statements, the I am statements of Jesus, because they're relevant to us. They're not some sort of detached, abstract information. They're game changers for you and me. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at some of the seven statements that you find in John's Gospel, where Jesus says, I am, and he uses these word pictures to describe who he is. So Simon looked at the evidence for the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning, the claims of Jesus, and that we can trust everything that he says. And then last week, Steve looked at the sixth one, where Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, for this morning, I want to spend some time looking at the very last statement that Jesus makes, where he says, I am the vine, and particularly apply it 
to our lives in one, in one special way. Uh, but why don't we just read the passage in, in context, so read the verse in context, do a little bit of a backup. I'm going to read from John chapter 15 through to John, fi- John 5, okay? 15 verse 5. So let's read it together. It says this, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. That's a reference to the Pharisees and the time when Israel was seeking to please God through uh, religious practices. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, some translations say abide, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's that last verse, verse 5, I want to particularly zoom in on this morning. And I want to show us how that one pithy statement, I am the vine, you are the branches, how that one pithy statement has implications for our lives. And I want to particularly focus on how that has the power to defeat anxiety in our lives. There are literally dozens of implications of that verse. But rather than aim at everything and hit nothing, we're going to focus in on particularly this issue of anxiety. Because after all, it would be difficult to find a more relevant issue in our society today, wouldn't it? Do you know, at the start of the 20th century, the medical journals were full of articles about how bacterial infection pose the biggest threat to mankind. Fast forward to the start of the 21st century, and the medical journals are full of articles about how mental stress and anxiety poses the biggest threat to mankind. They estimate that around 38% of deaths could be linked to hypertension, high blood pressure, and anxiety. Uh, A recent study by the University of Cambridge estimates that around 8 million people in this country suffer severely with anxiety. Um, In another study, they interviewed people and 21% of adults said that they would rate their anxiety between six and 10 on a scale. It's a national epidemic of anxiety in our nation. One of the theories is that whilst we're all becoming increasingly digitally connected, we're actually becoming more emotionally disconnected from one another. And particularly in the younger generation, We're seeing people developing a fear of missing out, FOMO they call it, a fear of missing out where they go on social media and see friends and people they they know of having this amazing lifestyle and they're not included in that. And so for them, anxiety hits home. They're calling social anxiety the next wave of this epidemic. So if there's this massive problem in society, and let's be honest, to some extent in the church too, we need to know how to become carriers of hope to our nation, just as we're hearing about through the worship. But of course, whilst there's all of that on the macro picture, the national scale, there's also a personal cost to anxiety, isn't there? And that would be something in my story too. Um, My own story was that, particularly in my early 20s, uh, I developed particular anxieties. And um, I developed this pattern, particularly when I was going into exams and when I started my first job, this pattern of behavior where I've become dependent on prescription medication to deal with anxiety and go to sleep at night and use alcohol as well to do that. And then in the mornings, dependent on caffeine and sometimes caffeine pills to wake myself up again. And I remember reading somewhere that the German, there's a German root to the word worry. So our English word is worry, but the German root to it actually means to strangle. 
And that's, that's how it felt to me. It felt like the life was being strangled out of me. I, I was desperately concerned about whether I'd pass my exams and desperately concerned about whether I'd be able to hold down my job. I remember clearly, um, I used to have a lunch hour in my first ever job, and I lived 20 minutes away from home. But I was so sleep de deprived that what I would do is I'd drive 20 minutes home, go to bed for 20 minutes to try and sleep, and then get up and drive 20 minutes back to work just so I could make it through the day. And it, it finally sort of culminated when I was running low on my prescription medication and I felt this tension come in my body as I remember looking at the pot of pills and I was running out. And it was at that moment I thought to myself, I've got a real issue with anxiety in my life. Now, of course, the bad news was that as soon as I realized I had an issue with anxiety, I began to get worried about my anxiety issue, which didn't help me at all. But in a way, it was a catalyst because it meant, actually, no, I've got to address this in some way. And so as I share, I want to share to you, with you a little bit personally in terms of how God has helped bring increasing freedom to my life. And it's passages like this and particularly Matthew 6 that have been re of real help to me. So I think there are two particular ways for us this morning that this little pithy statement can help us get freedom from anxiety. The first way is where Jesus' words help us with anxiety over our identity which is a massive concern in the world around us. Questions like, who am I? What am I meant to be doing with my life? And if we're slightly older, have I wasted some of my life? Those kind of questions can go round and round our minds. And I want to show you the contrast between what Jesus has to say and what society is offering us. So here's how it works out in society around. In many traditional cultures, your identity comes from the context of your community, so where you grew up. Um, so you get your sense of identity through heritage and a sense of place, a sense of belonging there. Uh, so the expectation would be that you would work in, say, the family business, maybe farming or fishing or whatever it is. And then you would play your role within village life and you would care for elderly, elderly relatives. And then honor and identity would be bestowed upon you by others in the community, particularly your family. And that's how you get your identity. It is given to you. And if you're part of that tribe or that community, that's how you get a sense of self and a sense of worth. And that's how it would have been in England in the past. So sort of centuries back, um, that's how it would have been. So my surname is Johnson. So at some point in my ancestral history, there would have been a guy called John who then had a son. And his son was known as, oh, he's John's son. That's how he got his identity from his father. But the trouble is, it's not like that in our modern world, is it? To some extent, we've severed ties from the community around us. Just for instance, um, how mobile we are. Just by show of hands, how many people have moved to Bedford or Milton Keynes or this region from somewhere else? Just put a hand in the air. Look at that, it's a forest of hands. So we have relocated from our original community to somewhere new. Not only that, but our world around us tells us how we should get our identity, and it's not from community. Our world around us tells us that we get our identity by following our dreams. You know the kind of the mantra, discover the hero inside yourself, cut your own path in life, don't follow the, the, the crowd. That's the kind of narrative that the world is telling us. It's a kind of assert yourself on the world. Rather than identity being given to you, it's you make your own stamp on the world. And it's everywhere in popular culture. Here's what Oprah Winfrey has to say. She says this. Often we don't even realize who we're meant to be because we're so busy trying to live out someone else's ideas. 
But other people and their opinions hold no power in defining our destiny. It's also in our advertising. This is a Nike advert. Find your greatness by going for a run in the Arctic. I tried it. It didn't work. <laughs> Find your own greatness is the message. And it's in our song lyrics, okay? See if you can identify which song this comes from, okay? I'll read the lyrics to you. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once control me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Turn to the person next to you. Where, where do you reckon that's from? What's your best guess? Okay, let me try and help you. If you haven't got it, let me, let me give you the chorus, all right? You ready? Let it go, let it go. I am one with the wind and sky. Let it go, let it go. Some of you want to sing it, don't you? You'll never see me cry. Here I stand and here I stay. Let the storm rage on. Yes, it's from Frozen. Who got it right? You're a bit embarrassed about getting it right, aren't you? You did get it right. This is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way for the under sevens. And all across the country, five and six-year-old girls know this off by heart. It's saying, I'm going in this direction. I'm cutting my own path. The message that everywhere around us, society says to us is, identity comes through independence. Look into your own heart, discover your dreams, and then have the courage to cut your own path. That's how you know who you are. So we're encouraged to find our identity and what we can achieve, uh, what we can do for a living. When you're at a party, what's the first thing someone asks you? Oh, what do you do for a living? Incidentally, if you're quite bored by the person you're speaking to, just reply, oh, I'm a church pastor. Because in my experience, that will kill the conversation dead. <laughs> They'll be out of there. You know, that's, uh, just, just, that's, that's a freebie for you, yeah? Um, it encourages us to find our identity through how knowledgeable we can be about a certain subject or the family role we fulfill or how we express our sexuality or our healthy lifestyle choices. And it's all in this desperate attempt to find a sense of worth and identity, to say, this is who I am. I'm a self-made businessman or woman. I'm a mother. I'm a musician. I'm an academic. I'm a teacher. I'm a student. I'm a skater. I'm a fitness nut. I'm a preacher. Insert your own answer into the blank. And we try to find our own fragile identity. But the trouble is, looking into your heart doesn't always help us. Jeremiah 17 says this, doesn't it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? When we're told to follow our own heart, the trouble is our heart is fickle. It, it, it changes. It's deceitful. It wants one thing, and then in the next moment, it wants the next. So, you know, on a Saturday morning, I, I wake up, and I sit on the edge of the bed, and I, I stare into my own soul, and I think to myself, what does my heart want? And and I realize that the, the actually, if I'm honest, if I'm deeply honest, the dream of my heart in that moment is to have a bacon sandwich. That, that's really, more than anything else, I want a bacon sandwich. So I go after that dream, and I seize that dream, and I have the bacon sandwich. And I sit down at the kitchen table, and I'm on my iPad scrolling through, and on YouTube, I, I follow one of these channels where they, they describe people who've got their own off-grid setup, where you know they live um, and they've got in the wilderness, and they've got 
they've got a cabin and they've got solar panels and rainwater harvesting. And I would look at that and I think, that looks brilliant. And then my heart wants to go and live in the woods. Emma's not keen. Um, that'll, that'll probably come up on the marriage course. But uh, that's what my heart wants in that moment. And then at various other points during the, during the day, my heart wants different things. At one point, my heart wants a pickup truck. And at another point, my, my heart wants to learn how to skydive. And at uh, another point, um, I want to become a best-selling author. And then at one point, my, my heart wants to discover a lost Incan city because that would be really cool. You know, my heart wants all these different things. I, I realize I've just described a midlife crisis to you there, but that's, an, that's another... <laughs> That's another issue. We'll deal with that another day. (laughs) The point is, my heart is after different things in different moments, even in a single day. Following my heart cannot be the answer. Whether you've got one all-consuming dream or lots of different dreams, at the end of the day, it's all going to lead to disappointment. Because even the dreams that you're chasing, even, even when you know what they are, even if you should encounter them, chasing a dream won't tell you who you are. Chasing a dream won't give you your identity. So often the dreams will just live in tension and compete with one another. You know, I I might have a dream to have this brilliant career that I can pull myself into, but at the same time, I also want to have loads of time for my family. Or I might have this great dream to be in really good physical shape, but Also, at the same time, I want to eat bacon sandwiches. There's just this tension that goes on. Chasing the dream will not tell you who you are. And even if you get your one dream, even if you get to fulfill that dream, it's still fragile. So if the dream was to become a self-made businessman or woman, what happens when you retire or the business goes bust? Or if your dream was always to be a mother, what happens when your kids leave home? Or if the dream was to have a healthy lifestyle, what happens when illness or old age eventually catches up with you? If the dream was to be a brilliant preacher, what happens when you preach a duffer? It's all temporary. It's all fragile. It's building a life on a house of cards. No wonder there's so much anxiety in our society around us, eh? We're seeking security from attainment instead of connection from achieving something, getting somewhere in order to be someone. And it's all empty. It's into this frightened, restless, anxious world that Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. Don't be anxious, my child. Your identity comes from your connection to me. And that can never be severed. You know, I... I spent around uh, 10 years uh, dreaming of becoming a lawyer and then four years studying. So I did three years of a law degree and then uh, a year of law society finals. And uh, had a a job offer and uh, article clerk all mapped out. Everything was on track. And then partly because of my anxiety, I missed my final law society exams by between 2 and 4%. And circumstances meant I couldn't retake. You know, I realized that the dream died, but I didn't. Yes, I had to process disappointment, but at the end of the day, I could lose everything. I could lose everything I've got in this world, you know, friends, family, home, health, reputation, possessions, but I can never lose my sonship in God. Nobody can ever take that away from me. Tragedy may mean that I stop being a husband, a father, or a preacher, but you'll never be able to take away my identity in Christ. 
Because Jesus is the vine and I am a branch, I can never stop being his son. And the truth is, to be honest, I'd have been a terrible lawyer anyway. Uh, you know, I, I would have been miserable and I would never have had the heart to build people. And so, you know, I'd have been miserable and poor and it wouldn't have worked. God had a better plan. You can take everything away from me, but bottom line, I'm eternally loved. And so are you. I've got an anchor in the storm. If I understand that Jesus is the vine and that I'm in Christ, then I get to be bulletproof on this stuff. Bill Johnson, a pastor from the States, describes how they sent a team on a short-term trip to Mexico, but it was to a particularly um, sort of dangerous and deprived area. And uh, sadly, the team, some of the team were taken hostage by a local drugs gang. And there was one terrifying moment where a member of the team was forced to kneel in the dust and a gun was pointed to his head and he was instructed by this drugs baron guy to beg for his life. And this is what the young man replied. He looked up to the guy and looked him in the eye and he said this, if, it's the, if the law's decided it's not my time to die, then there's nothing you can do to kill me. But if God's decided it's my time to die and go to heaven, there's nothing you can do to save me. It's like, you may have the gun, but you're not in control here. And of course, the drugs baron back down. Your job, your family, your role, your health, it will all shift and change at some point or another. Jesus is less than 24 hours from being arrested and then put on trial and snatched away from the disciples. But he wants them to know, matter what happens to your circumstances, nothing changes. He's the vine. You're the branch. And he's saying to them, you don't have to earn your identity because I'm in the process of winning it for you. Paul puts it like this so many times. It's one of his favorite phrases. He says, you're in Christ. It's like you're connected in. It's like your DNA is linked to his. And he says, there's so many benefits from you being grafted into Jesus. He says, in Christ, you were chosen before the creation of the world. In Christ, you were redeemed and forgiven for all your sins. In Christ, you're now a new creation. That's pretty good news. In Christ, you're being sanctified and made holy. And in Christ, you will be raised from the dead at the coming of the Lord. One theologian puts it like this. There will never come a time, either in this life or the next, when all true believers will not be in Christ Scripture tells us that in the person of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is and always had been, has been our advocate before the Father. Everything else is temporary. He's the vine. We're connected to him. And because he is eternal, my security is eternal. Refuse to define yourself by any other means than the fact that you're a son or daughter of the living God. The source of my identity comes from my connection to him and not from my performance, exams or otherwise. So Jesus is making this promise to his disciples. But there's a, there's a second final promise I wanted to look at, a second area of anxiety that Jesus being the vine and us being the branches help us with. And it's this, it's anxiety over resource. It's this fear of lack, of will there be enough? For some of us, we have on, ongoing anxiety around will there be enough money to pay for all the bills? Will I have enough time to get everything done that I need to do this week? Will I have enough wisdom to make the right choices over university courses or marriage partners or whatever it will be? Will I have enough patience for the people around me? And will I have enough physical energy to make it through? Some of us here, if we're honest, not a million miles away from where I was at in my early 20s. We feel like we're on the brink of emotional and physical exhaustion. Our nervousness is that tomorrow we may not be able to keep all the plates spinning. 
And this is where I battled the most with anxiety, anxiety over resource. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person who sort of looks down the road and sees all the things that could go wrong. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, and uh, I have this natural ability to, to see the negative in whatever's going on. Um, and the, the truth is I haven't always been this happy-go-lucky person that you see stood before you now. Um, uh, for me, naturally, the, the way of thinking is that the glass is half empty, that every silver lining has a cloud, and that the light at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train. That would, that's really where I'm coming from, you know? Uh, on the plus side, it turns out I'm brilliant at doing risk assessments. I mean, I'm just, I'm just genius at that. Uh, Royden did one for us the other day, actually, and he put it on a spreadsheet. Instantly, I could think of 17 other things that could go wrong. And so this has been an area of challenge for me. When it comes to the past, so often our issues are about shame and regret. But when it comes to the future, so often our issues are around fear and anxiety. It's the what might happen that torments us. And so I've been in this process of learning to trust God for my, for my future. And Jesus is saying to us, I'm the, branch, I'm, the, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Being in the vine means that Jesus is our place of resource. The way vines work is that they supply all the water and nutrients that the branches need just as they need it. Otherwise, they'd all get too weighed down and collapse. The Bible says these twin promises. Number one, each day has enough trouble of its own. How many of you know that's true? Yes, each day has enough trouble of its own. However, the other side of the coin is this. His mercies are new every morning. So he will provide new mercy for every challenge that you face every new day. So the promise is that you will get what you need when you need it. Uh, think of it this way. Um, this here is um, roughly how much water you need for the rest of today. All right? Around two liters or so. Okay? This here, about five liters, is what you need for Monday and Tuesday. That's the kind of recommended amount. All right? What would happen if you came to me and you said to me, uh, Paul, I want to drink not just today's water today, but I want to have tomorrow's and Tuesday's water today. What would happen to you? Two things would happen. Number one, uh, the rest of the day you'd be weeing for England. And number two, by Monday lunchtime you'd be thirsty. No, no, the way it works best is that tomorrow you trust that you'll be able to turn on the tap and drink what you need when you need it. In just the same way, Jesus says, I will be there for you when you need it. And those of us who have been Christians sometime, if you look back and look back at the years past, actually I think most of us will discover that his track record is pretty good. Amen? And if he's been good to us in the past, then he's going to be good to us in the future. So filling my head with these thoughts helped me deal with the anxiety over what might happen. Somebody put it like this. Tomorrow's mercies are not designed to carry, so, sorry, beg your pardon. Today's mercies are not designed to carry tomorrow's burdens. So you're not meant to pull tomorrow's burdens into today. By all means, plan for it and prepare for it, but you're not meant to carry the weight of tomorrow's burdens today because you'll get the mercy tomorrow that you need for tomorrow's burdens. Corrie Ten Boom puts it like this. I love this. She says this, Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Don't you love that? What kind of week are you facing, I wonder? Maybe back to school or college. Maybe assignments. Maybe facing relationship challenges. Maybe facing loneliness or financial hardship. 
by all means plan and prepare for those situations. But our hope has to be in him for tomorrow, not in our detailed plan. I'm going to let you into a little secret. Um, I can do this because much, much of the team are away on holiday and so they won't hear this. So this will be just between you and me and the internet. Um, when, it, when it comes uh, to my role here as a church pastor, uh, I've got to be brutally honest with you, I really don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I mean, I'm a little bit out of my depth, and to be honest, I have been for some years. I, I don't have within me what is needed. Just to give you one little example, um, I, um, when I first started working for the church, I guess it would be about 150 people, and things were a little bit more ad hoc back then. And uh, the team leader, when I started on staff, he said to me, uh, PJ, I'd like you to take responsibility for the church finance team and the church finances. And I turned to him and I said, I really don't think that's a good idea. Um, I'm not good with spreadsheets. In fact, I came last in my law school accounts class. To which he replied, you did an accounts class? Brilliant, that makes you the expert. <laughs> I'm like, how did you get that from what I just said? And so, and so began my journey of realizing my inadequacy for his sufficiency. And we also have people who know what they're doing now on finances. But, that, but that's been the way it's been. And here's the thing, I think that's kind of the way it's meant to be. I think we're meant to live our lives on his resources, not our own, don't you? To realize that he's sufficient, not us. What does Jesus say? Uh, he, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I looked it up in the Greek, nothing. It means nothing. Even your very next breath, you're dependent on him to provide it for you. We get our identity from connection to him, not what we can do. We live this lifestyle of connection to. Just final kind of thoughts as we land. Um, I've got a vine in my garden. And um, this, is, um, this is one of the branches from that vine. I did some manly gardening earlier on this week. And um, I'm no expert on sort of horticulture, but I reckon my ch the chances of this branch producing fruit are pretty slim, yeah? I'm, uh, that, I'm fairly sure that I place a bet on that. The branches that are gonna produce fruit this year on the vine in my garden are the ones that are gonna stay connected. They won't actually physically move or do very much, but they will spend their whole time being connected, drawing from the vine. It's just the same with us. You're not meant to do everything on your own, out of your own resources. As someone once said to me, you can either try to be the strong one or you can be the weak one made strong by God. And that's who I want to be. Every day, dependent on him for everything that I need. In Mark, Jesus calls his disciples. And notice, it, he, if you read it, he, he doesn't call them to a mission or to a job description. In Mark 1, it says he called them to be with him. In other words, to remain, to abide, to hang out for this next three years with him. It's just the same invitation to you and I. He's calling us to be with him and let fruit flow from that place. Just close with this thought. Um, I remember hearing a guy from the, another guy from the States called Steve Nicholson. And um, he, was, he said, when I get to the end of my life, he said, um, I, I want people to look back at what's been achieved through my life. And I want them to say, that guy was never smart enough to do all that he did. He was never intelligent enough, well-connected enough. He wasn't articulate enough. He wasn't enough of a strategist. He, wasn't, he didn't have what it took to do what he did 
surely there must be a God. He said, I want to live an inexplicable life. Don't you? That's the kind of people we're called to be. We're, we're called to be those who live with such peace, such security, such dependence on the Father that naturally we produce fruit around us. I tell you, the world is crying out for Christians to live like that. Your peace will be your greatest weapon. It will be your greatest evangelistic tool. Your peace will be what draws so many people into the kingdom. And just like me, my journey of moving from anxiety into a place of faith and security, he offers and invites the same to you here this morning. Why don't we pray together? Normally, um, normally I get people to stand, but I'm going to get you to say, sit and just abide for a moment. Maybe you just want to close your eyes because so often that helps us focus in on the Lord. So perhaps you just want to close your eyes. And here's what I'd like you to do. The first thing I'd like you to do is I'd like you to um, take a large lungful of air in and then slowly let it out. That is your big spiritual sigh of relief because he is the vine and you're a branch and you're connected to him. And he, that connection can never be severed. You're with him for eternity. Your identity can never be lost. You might lose everything in this life. You might lose family and possessions. You might not, even not have a roof over your head. But no one can ever rob you of your identity. You're a son. You're a daughter of the king. Not just for now, but for eternity. And your job, your job is to stay close to him. Just stay close to him. To allow his life force to flow through you. Let this eternal life start now of connection and communion with Him. For like for some of us here this morning, anxiety has been a real issue. Where the root word of worry being strangled, it's like you're being strangled by anxiety. And the Lord wants to come and bring freedom to you this morning. For some of you, you're not actually sure how you're going to do next week. How, you, how you're going to make it through. You're just right on the edge of it, physical, spiritual, emotional exhaustion. And if that's you, we'd love to just pray for you this morning. So I, I'm stood as one who knows what that's like. If that's, if that's true of you too, do you want to just stand to your feet? Because we'd love to pray for you this morning. You just know that I need, I need heavenly resources to make it through this, even just this next week. That's great. Thank you for standing. I'm sure there are more. That's it. Thank you for standing. There's no judgment in this place. Just love and acceptance for you. That's great. For others of us, it's around identity anxiety. Um, as I was speaking, you realize, actually, I place so much courage and confidence in what I do or what I know or the reputation I've got or the money I've got in the bank or the resources behind me. Let me ask you, outside of God, where would you most be tempted to find your identity from? Because that's actually your biggest threat. And for you, the way of moving out of anxiety identity is to recognize, is to repent, to turn away from trying to find your identity in anything other than Jesus. It was so good for me to fail my first, first set of exams. It actually was the best thing for me because it stopped me from living a life of performance. I'd passed everything up until then. And then the Lord said, you're not going to be defined by, by your academic ability. You're going to be defined by your sonship. 
So if that's you, if you want to step away from any other false vine and any other false area of identity, do you want to just stand to your feet too and just say, I'm going to find my identity in Jesus alone. If that's you, do you want to just stand to your feet? I'm going to be dependent on the vine for this. Thank you. Thank you, Father. That's great. So Spirit of God, just come, we pray. Thank you, Father. Great. If you're not stood, but you're around someone who's just stood, would you stand with them? We're going to be family together with this. Some of us here this morning, it will be that we've got friends or relatives who wrestle with anxiety. And for us, you know, we, we need to understand them and stand with them. But for so many of us here, it's a real live issue for us. The so Spirit of God, come. Can I ask, ask Wendy to pray for us? Yeah, I just want to make sure we've got someone around everybody. So there's loads of people standing who, who are on their own at the moment. Let's gather. Let's, let's, if, you're not, if you haven't responded, look around you and go and stand with someone who stood up. Let's lay a hand on their shoulder, on their back, whatever it is. Just let's stand with each other. There's something powerful about having people stand with you that even breaks off some of the anxiety and the fear. So I just want to make sure everyone's got people around them. It can be more than one pe- person as well. Just Let's just gather around, around each other. And I just want us to pray for God's peace. Let's just speak the peace of God into, into hearts. Speak truth over these guys that you're praying with. Speak truth over them. The faithfulness of God would be their strength right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, we just, we just pray that anxiety would be broken off of people right now in Jesus' name. And we pray for peace. We pray for peace. And listen, if you haven't responded uh, specifically to this, then where you're sitting, I just want you to be asking Jesus to increase peace in your heart. I don't know about you, but the truth is there is always more peace for us to know. And actually, something the world is longing for is peace, and we get to carry it. We get to reveal peace to the world around us. And for many of us, tomorrow morning, workplaces, families, friendships, people are going to be desperate for peace, and we can release peace. And so just be asking God to fill your heart with greater peace, that you would be able to give it away to the people around you. You'd be able to give peace away to the people that you come into contact with. Peace is really powerful. It is a really powerful, supernatural thing that changes situations, changes people. So Father, we just thank you for your presence among us. Just pray that you'd keep ministering, God. Keep keep meeting with us, Father. We want to be those who remain in you, who abide in you, who put you first above every other thing. Thank you, Father, that without you we can't do anything. Such good news. But thank you that with you we can do anything. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for your presence, God. I just pray, God, that you'd speak to us about next steps. Tomorrow morning, what does it look like to abide in you? What does it look like to come to you first, to let you come to us and meet with us? What does it look like to take your hand of invitation tomorrow morning? Father, teach us what it looks like to abide in you above every other thing.